20 second warning. Good morning. We're glad that you're here with us. We're a little late, but we're here. Worship with us today. Who am I that the highest 
God Almighty, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. There was a debt that was owed, a debt we could not pay. The debt of sin for all humanity. But God had a plan, and that plan involved His Son, Jesus Christ. And He sent Him to live on this earth many years ago, to live a perfect and sinless life and to be sacrificed for our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ is what covers our sins. So when the Bible says that when he's, God sees us, he no longer sees a sinner, but he sees a son, a person that has been redeemed, that has been covered by the blood of his son. That is great news. So what that tells us is we can't do and we can't say enough to receive salvation. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So this morning, maybe you feel just lost. And maybe you have felt like you can't, you can't do enough. Well, that's true. We can't do enough. But all of it is done. And it was accomplished through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm pretty sure you've heard this many, many times. But maybe the Lord is leading you to that point this morning of just believing in that name of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, throne of grace, and we pray for that person that feels something in their, in their life right now, in their spirit. They feel like, what am I supposed to do? What can I do? I need you in my life. I need to, I need to be saved. So I, we pray, Lord, that you would give them the words to speak this morning, the words to pray, to believe in your son, Jesus Christ, so that they will be saved. And the Bible says that whoever is saved, whoever proclaims the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. So we pray, Lord, that may your will be done. And we thank you for salvation. We thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, for the sins of the world. And we thank you, Lord, that we get that promise of eternity in heaven with you because we choose to believe in that name. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, Life Community Church. We are happy that you have joined us online. Thank you for your patience. We had some uh, internet issues, but luckily it worked out and we're live. So uh, welcome to on our online service. Uh, my name is William Agundes. I'm the student life pastor here at Live Community Church, and we want to welcome you. If you are a guest this morning, it is a pleasure to have you with us. 
uh, let us know that you are a first-time guest. You can do so by uh, going online through Facebook or sending us an email uh, here at Life Community Church. And it's such a pleasure. So may you be blessed by the worship of our wonderful worship team and by the preaching of the word by our pastor, Randy Hewitt. So here he comes. Morning. Good morning. How you doing? Well, we certainly apologize for the technical difficulties. We understand that this was a problem that was pretty widespread. And we hope it's working right now and hope you're able to watch right now. And maybe if you weren't able to watch it live, you'll be able to watch it later. Thank you for joining with us. It's a great privilege that you have taken this time. Uh, we are, have some things on the horizon. We are planning to begin to meet together on uh, September the 13th. Uh, on September the 13th, we will have two full services, just like the good old days. We'll meet at 9.30 and 11. We'll have full child care and full children's ministry. Uh, we just ask you to wear a mask, and uh, we're looking forward to that. We're all anxious. We're, is everybody who's tired of this, say amen, right? We're tired of it. So uh, <laughs> we're ready to start meeting together and look forward to that time. Uh, we, uh, we, we started a new series last week. We were talking about the kingdom of God and what that means, how that relates. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God and how we operate within the kingdom of God. So we're going to take the next, next couple of weeks talking about how the kingdom of God relates to us. Uh, the kingdom of God is basically this. It means the rule and reign of God. There is a king, and his name is Jesus, and he has a kingdom. And he rules in that kingdom. But there's another kingdom, the world system, and these kingdoms are in conflict. I want to talk to you today about that. I want to talk to you about kingdoms in conflict. If you have a child, and uh, children are wonderful, uh, if you have a little baby, those little babies are precious. They are, they're wonderful. They are incredible. They're sweet and loving. Uh, they're like little angels. But uh, your little angel, the longer their legs get, the shorter their wings will get. And you'll find that your little angel, at some point, there'll be a conflict. And it's a conflict of kingdoms. It's a conflict of who's in charge. Uh, yeah, they, they want all that you can give them. They want all the accoutrements of family. They want you to give them a house. They hope that you'll give them a car. And they hope that you'll give, your, give them your money as much as possible. What they don't want is rules. They don't want you to tell them what to do. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Uh, you're on your own, Jeremy. Uh, they believe that their existence gives them rights. You know, we've all experienced, you know, as we experienced it ourselves as teenagers. It's not anything new. It's not a new condition. It's not that this generation is worse than previous generations. I'm not saying that. It is the nature of as we grow and are, are getting older, we get older, but we're not responsible yet. We don't understand the, the principle of responsibility. We just have, know that we want freedom. We know that we want to get our way. Who doesn't want to get their way? So, uh, it creates a conflict of kingdoms. And so I want to talk to you today, something similar to that, a conflict of kingdom. Now, somewhere in time, or before time, uh, God, in, in His eternal presence, God created angels. Now, today, I, want, I just want to warn you. I am going to read a lot of scriptures today. What I'm saying today is based primarily on scriptures, and I've just got a few comments in between, which I think, as a, as a teacher, I always feel like it's important to convey truth by the Word of God. I could string together some stories, and it'd probably be more entertaining, but I really want you to get the foundation of this and what the Word of God says about angels and, and the fall and how that brings us into the conflict. So today, I'm just warning you, there's going to be a lot of scriptures that I'm going to read, so be ready. So it's somewhere in, in the, in, <laughs> I don't know how to say it, other than, there's not a good way to say this because it's not in the past, it's in God's eternal presence, God created angels. Here's what Psalm 148 says, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts, 
Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. God created angels. And the Holman Dictionary, Bible Dictionary, says this, that an angel is a created being whose primary function is to serve and to worship God. One of the things I, you know, you need to know this, if you don't know this, people who died do not become angels. Uh, angels were created. They were created by God. God doesn't turn people who die into angels. When you die, you either are going to go one or two places. You're either going to go to heaven or hell. But when you get there, you're not going to be an angel. You're going to actually judge angels. If you go to heaven, you're not going to be an angel. You're going to be higher than an angel. That's another sermon. Okay. Uh, the Bible tells us also that the number of angels is innumerable. It's, it's, it's not countable in human terms. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. Revelation 5.11 tells us this. Of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads. That is to say there was lots. Lots of lots and thousands of thousands. Myriads times myriads and thousands of thousands. So, so the angels is like this innumerable host. And the purpose of angels is that they serve God. They are God's messengers to serve him. They serve God in his heavenly court. There is a court in heaven. Isaiah 6, 1 describes it. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, this is a, a type of angel. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. So in this text, it, this text describes seraphim. And seraphim are often identified, and angels are often identified as winged creatures, the cherubim and the seraphim. Cherubim are primarily guards, attendants to God's throne. Seraphim attend God's throne and offer him praises. But not every angel has wings, as we see that from Scripture. That doesn't mean they're inhibited in their ability to, to fly or go from place to place. They are not. Angels, God uses angels to carry messages to people. We know that the angel spoke to Mary and said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And we see this all through the Old and New Testament. We see that God used angels to carry a message from the throne of God. Angels talked to Abraham. Angels talked to Moses. Angels talked to Gideon. Angels talked to virtually every Old Testament character at some point had an encounter with an angel. Then we know that we know that in the New Testament that uh, Zechariah encountered an angel and that, and that there were multiple times throughout the New Testament Scripture that angels brought messages from God to people. They also carry out, one of their purposes is that they carry out God's will as He directs them. Colossians 1.16, For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So everything that exists, exists for God's purpose and for his glory. Now, the Bible doesn't give a lot of description of angels. The Bible doesn't spend a lot of time describing to us, other than the angels that are worshiping around the throne of God, where I just read to you, there's very little other description of the angels. They're in light. We often see in the New Testament, they're clothed in light. One of the reasons why the Bible doesn't offer a lot of attention to detail is about angels, because the focus is supposed to be on the message and not the messenger. Physical appearance of angels vary based on their categorization or the what category of angels they are. Uh, unlike popular imagery, it appears that only cherubim and seraphim have wings. Uh, within biblical text, 
uh, angels always appear as men and never as women or children. You know, often in the, in the Romantic ages, they often painted little angels, you know, little angels, uh, little fat chubby angels flying with the... Uh, <laughs> Most of, the Bi- most of the angels in the, that we see in the Bible are warrior angels. They are the host of the Lord. They are the army of the Lord. Uh, they're a spirit and have no human bodies, but can appear as human as needed. Hebrews 13 2 tells us this, Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. I told you the story that I believe that at one time in my life I encountered an angel that I know of, uh, and I think it was an angel, although I cannot be positively sure. I was in New York. I was waiting at the Nigerian embassy. I was trying to get a visa. I was, I was 20 years old. I was making really my first trip out of the country. We were going to Nigeria. Me and my traveling partner, we were going to Nigeria to preach a crusade. Our visas had not arrived in time, but back then all international flights went through a portal city like New York. Uh, there weren't that many international airports. So we had to fly to New York. We had a layover because there weren't that many direct connecting flights. You know, this is in the dark ages of flight. We were actually flying with the Wright brothers. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, it was <laughs> my first flight on a 747, which was incredible. Uh, and so we're, we're sitting at the night. We went to the Nigerian embassy to get our, our visas to be able to get access into the country when we got to Nigeria. So uh, we sound like a crazy plan, that, but we, we didn't know any other way. So we got there, we're waiting for our visas. It is, the, it is the Friday before Christmas Eve on Saturday, Christmas is on Sunday. So you can imagine at the Nigerian embassy on Friday, Christmas Eve Eve, they're having a big office party. And so they tell us, we go in, they receive us. What do you want? We're trying to get a visa. Okay, have a seat. So we sat there from 8 o'clock in the morning till just moments before closing time. At that, at, at right before closing time, a tall man, African man, came in and walked up to us and just walked right up to the, the man that I was with and said, what are you here for? We said, we're here to get visas. Why do you need a visa? said, well, we're going to uh, Nigeria because we want to preach the gospel in Nigeria. And the man said, okay, I see. He said, I'm a minister to, of the gospel too. I said, oh, great. He said, let me see what I can do. He walked into the back room, was there maybe a minute or two, came back out, handed us our visas, turned around. We thanked him. He walked out the door and was gone. And, and in, that, in that very instant, it was, it was like, man, this is so cool. This is, we got our visas. We're celebrating. We got our visas. Then we think, wow, that was really strange. Was it an angel? I don't know. But it was an incredible, uh, fortuitous experience for us. And the Bible says that happens. Sometimes we entertain angels without knowing it. There's some things about angels. They don't share the limits of our humanity. Angels don't get sick. They don't grow old. They don't die. But angels are not God. They don't have the attributes of God. And I want to tell you six ways that angels are different from God that you, that you need to understand. One, God is eternal. Angels are not. Angels are created by God and are not eternal. God, God created them at some point in eternity. Number two, God is all-knowing. God is omniscient. That means God knows everything. There's not anything God doesn't know past or present or future. God knows all things. Angels are not omniscient. They don't know all things. Now, they're very intelligent, and they have been around for a long time. They've picked up a few things, right? They're very intelligent, but they're not God. They're not omniscient. 1 Peter 1.12 says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. There are things that angels don't know that even you have got to experience. That that is the redemption and salvation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, God is all present. We use the terminology omnipresent. 
is the theological term. It means that God is not limited to a time or to a place. It's God is present in every place. Every place God is present, God is present in his fullness. God is not limited in any place. Angels are sent from the presence of God. So angels don't exist in omnipresence. Angels exist at a point. They exist in the presence of God. They exist here on earth. They don't exist in both places at the same time. Luke 1, 19. The angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now, this, this brings up the thought of guardian angels. A lot of people think about guardian angels. I read one place where it said like 72% of people believe they have a guardian angel. Do you have a guardian angel? Actually, the term guardian angel never occurs in the Bible. Uh, but many believers believe they have an angel assigned to them on a permanent ba basis. Now, the Bible tells us that the angel's primary role, what the Bible describes, is that angels are described as heavenly be beings in the presence of God. Matthew 18.10 does give us this verse, and this is where a lot of people kind of get the guardian angel thing. See that, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So he's saying don't, don't be cruel or angry or hard with these little ones, these children, because their angels are always before the throne. Well, if they're always before the throne, they're not watching you. Who is watching you? God is. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. They are not. He is. So what does God do? He sends his angels to minister to us as needed. Do we have a guardian angel? You have a guardian angel when God sends you a guardian angel. You have his presence. They minister to God's people. Hebrews 1.14 describes it this way. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation. So God is, is doing things that we don't see and we don't know and we don't understand. He's operating supernaturally in our lives, and he is providing care and love and protection through angels, but we don't necessarily have an angel hanging out with us. They're in the presence of God. If an angel is going to hang out, he's going to hang out in the presence of God because that is the best place to be. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's the only one that is omnipotent, who has all power. Angels are not. They are limited in their power. Uh, God is sovereign. Uh, to be sovereign, it means that God is the ultimate authority, that God is ultimately in charge of all things, controls all things, rules over all things. God is the ultimate authority. Uh, angels certainly don't have that authority. They are not God. They're not all-powerful. They're not sovereign. And God is to be worshipped. Angels are not to be worshipped or even prayed to. Colossians 2.18 calls this a heresy, a deception. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated with, without cause by the fleshly mind. So angels, though valid in the kingdom of God, important part of God's work are messengers sent by God to help God's people. What well, we don't worship them. And many times you'll find in Scripture when people saw angels, they were overwhelmed by their presence because of their majestic presence. They're not human. They're, they're amazing. And when people saw them, they tended to worship and often what the, when that would happen, every time that would happen, they would say, don't, don't worship me. Don't worship me. I'm just the messenger. So we want to not worship angels. Now, there was a leader of the angels that Isaiah 14, 12 tells us was named Star of the Morning, Son of the Dawn. His name was Lucifer. That means the shining one. In Ezekiel 28, it, there is a, there is a, uh, there's a portion where Ezekiel is talking about the king of Tyre, 
but it seems to be implying something much greater than that. It may apply to the king of Tyre, but it may have a greater definition. Tyre has lifted himself up in pride. He's resisting God. The king of Tyre is, listen, is, is resisting God. But here is a, the story involves more than that. Verse 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre. And say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets. It's an interesting term. The, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created, that they were repaired. You, they were prepared. You were the anointed, the, the chosen, the anointed. What's anointed mean? It's the, the chosen one. You were the chosen cherub who covers, who guards, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. So he's describing that Lucifer was God's masterpiece of his created angels. He was the chosen one. He was the anointed one. He was the shining one. It appears that possibly his role around the throne of God was to lead worship. Because when it talks about the settings and sockets, the word settings is tambourines, drums. And the word sockets is flutes. Drums and flutes were a part of his, his being, and that he is involved somehow in worship. He's, he's the shining one. It's like he's, the, he, he's the one that, that is just incredible in appearance. But there came a day when the shining one no longer wanted to lead the worship. He wanted to be the worshiped one. Verse 16, by the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before, before kings that they may see you. By the multitudes of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you, it has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. Isaiah 14, 12 gives us a little bit of picture, maybe a better picture of this rebellion and how it took place. Isaiah 14, 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn, shining one. You have been cut down to the earth you have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will send in the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. You notice that? Five I wills. Why were the angels created? To do their will? No. To do the will of God. When did he fall? He fell when he decided he didn't want to do God's will anymore. He wanted to do his will. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. Nevertheless, God says, yeah, yeah, but nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. What did he want? What did Satan want that he didn't have? Independence. What do teenagers want that they don't have? Independence. In other words, we want our way. What do we want that we don't have? Independence is the heart of our rebellion. We don't want God telling us what to do. And it, it affects us. It's believed that during this time, I'm sure you've heard this, that, that when Satan rebelled, 
when Lucifer, Lucifer rebelled, that there were other angels who followed him in his rebellion. And if I were to ask you the number, you, and I said, how many angels rebelled? You would tell me what? How many? Anybody know? One third. So it, it may be one third. I'll give you that. But here's, here's where we get that reference. In Revelation 12, verses 3 and 4. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems, and his, hell, his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Now, uh, this is the only verse we have that relates to one-third. Uh, so, we generally don't build a theology on one verse. We're often looking for other confirmation. So we know that other angels joined in the rebellion. We don't know how many angels it was exactly. It could have been a third, but we don't know how many angels. So when this rebellion happened, then there was a trial in heaven. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son determined what would be the outcome of this rebellion. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So there was a judgment declared on this rebellion, and then there was a place, God created a place for them. There there was a rebellion, there was a judgment on the rebellion, and then God created a place for them because of their rebellion. It was, they, hell was created for Satan and his angels. It wasn't, wasn't created for people. It was created for Satan. Now, this sentence was not carried out immediately. Instead, Satan was cast out of heaven to earth. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Isaiah 14, 12, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. So he was cast down to earth, and he got a name change. From the shining one to the adversary to Lucifer, from Lucifer to Satan. So 1 Peter tells us this, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So without going to all the great detail that I'd love to go into this morning, when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve believed the lie of Satan, Satan said, did God really say you would die? He knows that if you take the fruit, if you, if, if you take the fruit, you'll be like him. You see, this is the kind of God that we serve. Our, our God is not a no God. Our God is a yes God. If you think that following Christ is a bunch of no, 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 no's, it's not. That's not the way it operates in the kingdom of God. You know what God said to Adam and Eve? He said, listen, everything, everything in the garden, everything in the garden, thousands of things in the garden, you can enjoy. You can have your fill of any of these things in the garden. But there's one tree I want you to not touch. The knowledge of good and evil. Just one. We're, and in our nature, of course, we're drawn to the one, right? We're drawn to the one. So Satan lies to Adam and Eve. He, he distorts God. He distorts the picture of God. He distorts the view that God is wanting to deprive them of something. God never wants to deprive you of something. When God says no, it is always for our good. God says to them, don't do that, but they resist that. And when they rebelled, when Adam and Eve rebelled, what happened in that moment that Adam and Eve handed over the rule of the nations to Satan? Satan. 
So that when Satan was, when Jesus was tempted by Satan and he said to him, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdom of the world. That was, that was a true thing. He was offering him in, in that moment in time, the ability to have the worship of the kingdoms. You see, but why did Jesus come? Jesus came to take back the kingdoms of this world from Satan. Jesus came to establish the kingdom. So he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. He said, hey, I'm here. And I've come back to take the kingdoms. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. I'm going to take back the kingdoms that have been lost. So Jesus defeats the enemy. He defeats Satan. And he gets the kingdom for God. I like John 12, 31. It says, now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus said this. Judgments come. And the ruler of this world will be cast out. 1 John 3, 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 1.13, one of my favorite verses. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to free us from the domain of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. He came to destroy the works of the devil. There are two kingdoms in conflict. The kingdoms of this world are not going down without a fight, but we have already won the victory in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God, and now because Jesus died our death, died in our place, rose from the dead, ascended to the, fa- to the Father. He has the right to rule, the right to reign. He's been given the authority. So now, with the rule and the reign of God, we can take back what belongs to God. So th- here's what the kingdom of God is about. So here's what we're going to be talking about next couple of weeks. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in us. The first place we want to see the kingdom of God working is in us. And then we want to see the kingdom of God working in our family. The rule and reign of the kingdom of God in our family. And then we want to see the rule and reign of the kingdom of God in the church. And then we want to see the rule and reign in the kingdom of God in the world. What we want to see is the rule and reign of Christ. There are two kingdoms in conflict, and we have been called to serve, here's the good news, on the winning team. (laughs) Because the battle has already been won in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have won the victory. You have won the victor's crown. And yet you have pulled us in this time, you have pulled us into as your family, as your sons and daughters, into the battle of the ages. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We are in the midst of a conflict, an eternal conflict, and you have called us to, with you, win the war against sin and against Satan. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin to walk in your kingdom so that we can say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. 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 I love you. Good to be with you today. I hope you have a great day. Lord bless you. Jesus is alive. I love you.